If you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Can everybody see this? As you're turning to Ephesians 4, I want to begin the sermon this morning by letting you know that this is a dead piece of wood. Now, you don't have to be an arborist to know that this is a dead piece of wood, but it's not just a dead piece of wood. This is a piece of wood that I found in my barn in the farmhouse that we purchased five years ago. And I have a sneaking suspicion because the gentleman who cut all the wood passed away in the year 2000, which means that this piece of wood is probably at least 21 years old. How dry do you think this thing is? Well, let me tell you how dry it is. And Daniel will know, wherever Daniel's at, if he's in the room, uh, we did a fire uh, a year or so ago, and there was a bunch of wood like this that we found in the barn. How many of you know that wood that has dried out completely is, in essence, its own personal match? This, this thing might as well have been soaked in kerosene. When you start a fire with wood that is dried out, it explodes into flame. Even the big pieces that we found that were really big and thick, it just whoosh goes right up. This is, this is not what you want in your house if there's a house fire. Uh, this is the opposite of what you want. So I want this here, and I want you to look at this throughout the sermon because it is going to be important. Now, Ephesians chapter 4. What we talked about last week um, was speaking the truth in love. That that is what we as a church and we as the people of God should be doing, speaking the truth in love in order to be a mature group, in order to grow up in everything that Christ has called us to be, in order for that to happen, part and parcel to Christian living is speaking the truth in love. We discussed last week that uh, my concern was not so much for those who are pounding the pulpit of their life, demanding that people adhere to the truth. That is an old fear. That fear is probably 50 years removed. My fear is more on the love part, and love not biblically defined, but love as defined by our culture, which says things like a loving God would never send anybody to hell, a loving God would have no disagreements with the LGBTQ community, uh, a loving God would not say that sin is sin, a loving God would never get in the face of people, a loving God doesn't have wrath. Love means acceptance, and here's how we define acceptance. And I could go on and on and on with our culture's version of what love is. In fact, love can be weaponized in such a way that you can be accused of being an unloving person because you are a person committed to the truth. Have you experienced that before? The longer we go, the more evident it becomes that truth... And love are both despised by sinful humanity. Because we take the definition of truth and muddy it up and we don't want it. And we do not want a God who declares what is true. Because we're human beings and we love our own sinfulness. And we want our own definition of love, which is in essence is a passport to whatever sinfulness we want to live in, in whatever way we define it as. In other words, we wish to be the final arbiter and judge of what is truthful and what is loving. We do not want to submit 
to a God of truth who shows and demonstrates His love through the sacrifice of His Son, we, we do not, as a race of people, in rebellion against God. We don't want truth and love. This has always been true. There's never been a period in history, and there's never been a country, or a people, or a tribe, or a skin color, or an anything. There's never been a group that has been exempt from what I'm saying. We are, we are, we are according to Romans chapter 3, born sinners, and there is none who seeks God, no, not one, we Rather, according to Jesus in John chapter 3, the famous John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. For the Son didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but through Him the world might be saved. And then He goes on to say, because men loved darkness rather than they loved the truth and the light, and they want their dark deeds to be hidden in the darkness. So that when the truth comes and the light comes, nobody likes it to be exposed. Salvation requires the exposure of our own sinfulness. Which is how the truth in love works. It is a loving God who truthfully exposes the condition of our hearts and our lives and our sin and says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. Are you following what I'm saying? How truth and love work? You, you can't... You, you and I, left to our own devices, will define truth and love in our own way. And it will be to our own destruction. Which is why we need a standard of truth and love to follow. I don't trust my own self. I've been a Christian since I was five years old. That's 39 years ago. And I have been a pastor for 21 years. As of tomorrow, Jennifer and I moved to Huntington on January 11th, 2000. It was one of the most depressing days of my entire life. Ask Jennifer, she will confirm. I don't trust me. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, weigh the hearts. I don't trust me. <laughs> and I don't trust you either. Not in the sense that we can't have relationship. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, I don't trust me to be the arbiter of what is true and what is right and what is loving. I need an objective standard to go to to understand who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to act and how I'm supposed to live. Francis Schaeffer wrote that great book, How Then Shall We Live? If these things are true, how then should we act? Which is why we show up at church every Sunday morning. Speaking the truth in love, according to Ephesians 4, 15, causes us to grow up into the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Speaking the truth in love causes every part to do what it's supposed to do. The truth in love may be something to the effect of, hey, why are you acting like an idiot? Oh, well, that hurts my feelings. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe you shouldn't use the word idiot. Hey, why are you acting like a sinful person? What are you doing? This is the kind of conversation that people in relationship can have with one another. This is the kind of conversation that people that know each other and trust each other and love each other, not in themselves, but in Christ, can look at each other and say, come on, Steve, you know better than that. Right? What is iron sharpens iron? Does anybody know what iron sounds like when it clangs against another piece of iron? It's loud. What am I trying to get at? 
trying to get at something I don't know how to adequately describe, but this week and the things that are going on in our country are kind of blaring it out like a trumpet in a way that I hope you will instinctively follow what I'm trying to say, and here's what I'm trying to say. We are drunk with this present world. We are drunk with our jobs and our 401ks and our careers. We are drunk with pursuing the American dream. We are drunk with it to the degree that underneath of this thin layer of pretty stuff, this pretty layer of on the outside of where we've lived as a culture my entire life, underneath of it is a rot that has eroded out from underneath of the pretty stuff out top and the erosion is manifesting itself in a way where there is utter hatred now. I mean utter and complete hatred for people that we disagree with. Politically, I'm speaking. The language of our political officials, I'm not even going to mention them by name, but it's all of them, is so extreme and inflammatory at this point It exposes in, in my heart and mind what I see is a rot that is exposed for us to see and we are participants in the rot. It is an exposure of just how much we don't trust God and how much we've just been floating along drunk with the culture that we live in. I'm not just talking about things like dirty movies and secular music. I'm not just talking about getting drunk on the weekends. I'm not just talking about those kind of things. I am talking about the condition and temperature of our soul as we are seeking God. We don't need to seek God, therefore we don't seek God. Leave me and my job and my 401k alone. I show up to church three times a month, and that is the way that we think. I know you came for some encouragement, and this is encouragement, I promise. If you went to the doctor, and he said, what are you eating every day? I have Twinkies for breakfast, I have pudding for lunch, and I have vodka for dinner. And I've been doing that for 50 years. And he says, well, that would explain why your heart's about to explode. Wouldn't it? That's, that would explain why your heart is about to explode. Here, I have a suggestion. Eat this, eat this, don't do what you've been doing. If you persist in what you're doing, your heart is going to explode and you will be dead. If you make a change, maybe not. Maybe we need to do a surgery, but the surgery will be pointless unless we, you make a change. Would you be mad at the doctor for telling you to quit eating Twinkies? Or would you be saying, huh, maybe I shouldn't be eating Twinkies? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? What I'm telling you this morning is a diagnosis just from this week, my own realization of my own self, and I think for lots of us is, how wildly out of control do things appear and feel? Will you all feel it? The uncertainty that we all feel. The oh no that we all feel. The what does it look like now that we feel. That I, I think that the answer is for us as Christians to step away for a moment from all the political insanity and look really long and hard at ourselves and say, Lord, return me to my first love. I am a mess. That's how I feel. That's how this week has made me feel. Now listen, I have felt lots of feelings. 
I have never been grumpier and angrier than I have in the past year. Is that right, babe? You can go ahead. She's sheepish. She doesn't want to agree, but I'm just being transparent. I don't nor I have a long fuse when it comes to having patience. But that fuse has went shortened. Why in the world does that happen? Because of COVID? <laughs> no. I may ban the word COVID in 2021. Is it because of COVID? No. I believe that God, as He convicts our hearts, as He starts churning up in us the things that He is pruning out, you start feeling really uncomfortable. It's one of the ways that God deals with us to say, what are you doing? Steve, you are my son. Why are you devoted to hours of political talk radio and hours of political talk podcast and hours of political meditation on what's really going on with this country? Do you know what part of the problem is? Is that the source of, sources of information we now have and I mean all of them, are biased. I'm not going to give a diatribe on that, but I don't care what station we're watching, there is now an angle. The only way around that is to watch C-SPAN. Do you know what C-SPAN is? It's just a camera on whatever they're saying. And you know what you find is you can't hardly do it, can you? Have you noticed that? Anybody? You notice that just straight listening to what people are actually saying is difficult. I want to know how to think about what they're saying. And I'm waiting on my favorite thinker to think for me, to think out loud so I know how to think out loud when I get in an argument with an idiot next door to me in the cubicle right beside me or on Facebook, right? Isn't this how this works? Let me take a drink. I was listening to a uh, professor, I can't remember his name, I can't remember where he's, he's a professor of theology, I can't, and I'll give it to you later, I can't remember off the top of my head, I should have wrote this down, but he, part of what he does is he teaches uh, theology, but he also teaches cultural and ethics to people going into ministry, and one of the things he pointed out, this is before the election, this is before this, so it has not tied to anything political, one of the things he pointed out was in the 1960s, if you watch the sitcoms, that the average shot of a scene is 45 seconds. Do you know what the average is now? Five seconds or less. Do you want to know why? I'm, I'm going to, this is going to sound awful, but I, I'm including myself in this. Because we are wildly screwed up and demand Change, 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 new, new, change, new. Tell me what to think, tell me what to think, tell me what to believe, tell me what to think. Culture, teach me, teach me, show me. Click, click, swipe, swipe, click, click, swipe, swipe. We have ruined ourselves. I am giving a clarion call to every last one of you, including me. We are ruining our brains in this culture. We have become unable to think, therefore we want others to think for us, and we've lost the ability, as a whole, not everybody, but I'm speaking in general terms, we've lost the ability to reason, and to think, and to slow down, and to pray, and to meditate, and be, according to James, slow to speak. Slow to speak. There's pressure on pastors. This is one of the reasons I just got out of social media totally. There is pressure on pastors that every time some injustice happens, by golly, you better have a response now. You better be on the forefront of it. And maybe I'm wrong, but I have stepped back and said, wait a second, I need to be slow to speak, slow to anger. But everything in this culture is driving me towards quick to speak, quick to anger. I know your motivations. I know your heart. You, you're one of them. And so we're divided and it's ugly. And Jesus is not the unifying central factor. 
But instead, Christian article after Christian article, I'll tell you what's wrong with Christianity today. <sighs> Told you I'm grumpy. I'm not really grumpy, I'm heartbroken. I am heartbroken that we have lost the ability to think. We're waiting for others to tell us what to think. And we do this with God. We've made our culture a God. And it's concerning. It's really concerning to me. And the, the proof in the pudding is 2020 has been filled with riots all year long, culminating in something I never thought I would ever see in my life three days ago. In the storming of the Capitol. It's, how did we get here? It's because we've been staring at this pretty veneer on top of a culture that this is, this is the way that it all works, and underneath we've been rotting away because God is long removed down the list of our own priorities as a church. Forget the godless culture that is stomping on the gas pedal of a very souped-up car going as fast as they can away from God, in defiance of God, I don't believe that's going to change. I've been, how long have I been talking about that? I feel like I've been talking about that forever. But our own culpability here is we've got our version of truth and our version of love and we're not submitted to the standard of God's Word. And we are not people of the Bible. We're people of Twitter. We're people of libertarianism. Or compassionate Christianity. We're people of whatever group we best identify with. And anybody not in our group is the enemy. Anybody in other groups is most certainly the enemy. And if we were chained up together, like Paul and Silas in a jail, would we sing together hymns of praise to God at midnight? Would we? Or would we be irritated that I got locked up with this guy? I want you to go to 2 Timothy 4. I want you to hear from the Word of God that these pillars of truth and love are connected to Scripture. And they're connected to the last days. Now, I'm not going to tell you 21 reasons Jesus is coming back in 21. I could probably make a lot of money if I could write that book. Or blood moons. Or anything else. But 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote. He's in prison, writing again. At the end of the letter... He asks for a coat because it's in the winter and he's cold. He wants the parchments. He wants his books. And he's saying, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. That's, that's where Paul's at. We believe in church history that it's two to five years after this letter was written that his head was chopped off. He would have been in his 60s. He's an old man without the benefit of any of our modern stuff. Listen to what he says to a young pastor. It, it hits me because I am a pastor. But it's not just for pastors. I want you to hear what's in here. First Tim, or Second Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
Do you want to know what my job description is as a pastor? You just read it. There's more to it than that. Reprove, which actually means rebuke. Rebuke, which is another way of saying forbid. And exhort, which is a call to action. Or to an encouragement to go and do. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. With complete patience and teaching. Why, Paul, are you telling Timothy this? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The thing in here that really gets me, one, every time I read the words, I charge you. It just goes right through me. It is a semi-terrifying thing to be called of God to preach. Later, he says, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. It's not my favorite Bible verse. I do not have a t-shirt with that on the back. But the thing that gets to me, and I feel it palpably this week, is the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, it's such a weird phrase. You ever had that itch in your ear, you try to get it, you look like you're crazy doing it? Itching ears, I want to hear what I want to hear. And I do not want to hear sermons like this one. I do not even like the word rebuke. What do you mean? The pastor's supposed to rebuke? Yes! Yes, I am! I don't like that either. I want you to like me. In fact, most church growth strategies are like the pastor, love the pastor, and, uh, and the church will grow. Rebuking and reproving and exhorting, telling people, here's what God's Word says, let's do it, is not always popular. So the time's coming when people will say, we reject your doctrine of the virgin birth, and we reject your doctrine that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we reject your doctrine of the Trinity. We like it this way. We reject your doctrine of original sin. We reject your doctrine of substitutionary atonement where Jesus stood in my place. We reject your doctrine that God is a God of wrath and will judge, according here, the living and the dead. We reject the idea that in the book of Revelation that the people will cry out, hide us from the Lamb of God and His wrath and put rocks into our brains so that we will die and not have to face the Lamb. We reject such ideas. We reject the idea that there is an objective truth. That there is a foundation of God's Word and it's here and this is what you will be judged by. We reject it. We are heaping to ourselves teachers that tell us what we want to hear about love, what we want to hear about truth, what we want to hear, and oddly enough, mysteriously, it's parallel to the culture that we live in now. We are called a peculiar people, the church is. Peculiar meaning different from what's around us. In the Roman culture that this is being written in, Christians stood out like sore thumbs because they said, Crazy things like a husband should have one wife. Are you kidding me? One? Homosexuality is wrong. Are you kidding me? Nobody thought it was wrong. You shouldn't have sex before you're married. Are you kidding me? The sexual ethic of the early church stood out like a big blazing torch. What do you mean these guys just have one wife? What? What? They won't even take a pinch of incense and drop it on the altar at the local temple in the name of Caesar? 
Kyrios, Caesar. Caesar is Lord. That's what you had to do. That's all you had to do. There were Christians who did it to get out of the pressure of the culture they were in. It's just simple. It's just a pinch of incense. What does it really mean? Throw it on the altar. That's all you got to do. And we will leave you alone and you can go back to your church building and do whatever kooky thing you're doing with communion. Because we heard you and it's weird. They didn't like that either. The, bl- the bread and the blood. and They didn't like all that. They refused to do that. They refused to say Caesar is Lord because there is one. Do you see what I'm getting at? The counterculture was Christianity. They also went out into the snow when mothers in Rome and other communities would abandon babies. You know, that's what some of the early church was doing and they were rescuing babies. They were taking care of the sick and the infirm. They were living their lives and not loving it unto death. They had abandoned the culture they had come out of in favor of a new culture, of a new created reality through Jesus Christ. And they gave up willingly the plundering of their goods and their homes. That's what happened in Thessalonica. You willingly endured it. He says it in Hebrews as well. The world will hate you, Jesus said. But fear not, I have overcome the world. We are drunk in our culture and have been mistaken in our thought that our job was to get people to think we were nice and just like them. We're normal, just like you. I submit to you that that is why there is a rot in our culture. Because the church quit being salt. The church quit being light. Now, there's always been faithful people, and there are wonderful Christian men and women in this room right now. I am not saying you're all just horrific people. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is collectively, as a whole, me included, we have just went along to get along. And we have heaped to ourselves teachings. Maybe not heresies as much as they are Here's how I get away with just living without shining like a light. Here's how I get away with just going through the motions for 20 and 30 and 40 years. Because the culture allows me to do it. I don't really have to do anything. I think that's changing. So my message is an exhortation for us to act. The second thing I want you to see, the first thing I hope you saw here is that people don't want to listen to the truth. You hear that, right? We're commanded to speak the truth in love, but we are warned that in the last days, people will not want the truth. So we got that. Go to Matthew 24. Jesus had some really encouraging words right before his crucifixion. Matthew 24, verse 9. He was asked when the end will come. This is the longest continued speech of Jesus that we have recorded in regard to the end times. In fact, it's the longest one that you will find in the Bible uh, outside of Revelation. Jesus says in verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nation, nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away. Fall away from what? Professing to be Christians. Does that not sober you up? Many will fall away and betray one another, and hate one another. I believe this is going on throughout church history. I'm not going to give a big eschatology lesson. I believe this has been going on throughout church history. But we are in a moment in in church history where the tide of this verse has risen again. 
many false prophets will arise. I don't want to be rude, but there were so-called prophets all over America and the world prophesying that Trump would be president. I don't know if you saw any of them, and I don't mean one, and I don't mean ten, and I don't mean fifty, I mean a bunch of people prophesying. And to be honest, if that's as bad as it ever got, that would be fine. But it's not limited to that, false prophets. Prophesying all kinds of nonsense left and right. Many times just blessings and peace and blessings and peace and blessings and peace and anointings and giftings and God's going to do something through you that nobody's ever seen before. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, count yourself blessed. If you've never been in a meeting where it's just non-stop, I'm not saying God doesn't do blessings and peace because He does and it's through Him that you have it, but, but you can have that in a jail cell. I, for some reason, don't hear very many prophecies that are, hey, Samantha, the Lord showed me that you're going to jail and you're going to lose everything you have, but you'll have peace. I've never actually heard a prophecy quite like that. I may be more inclined to believe such a prophecy. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So I don't think these guys are the kind that are leading people astray necessarily. I'm just pointing out that we live in a time where people are claiming to hear from God. I believe that prophecy is a legitimate gift of the Holy Spirit. Do not hear me wrong, but I do not believe it's what you see on TV and YouTube and the nonsense and the dog and pony show and the buy my book at the end of this video stuff is all garbage should be burned and avoided. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray with those itching ears. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So now we're talking about love. Jesus says that the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Before the end comes, the gospel will be proclaimed. But as the gospel is being proclaimed, simultaneously, because lawlessness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. Many will fall away because of false prophets. 1 Timothy says the same thing and says, now the Spirit expressly says in the last times many will fall away. What, what am I doing when I'm doing this? I am warning us, church, don't run after everything that sounds good. It had better be the Bible. It had better be rooted in Scripture. And I don't mean, here's a verse that justifies while I'm barking like a dog in a church service, which does happen. Yes, it does. What I mean is, is does the text of Scripture support what's being taught? Two pillars. Speak the truth in love. And we've just read two passages of Scripture that tell me that in the latter days that people won't want to hear the truth and the love of their hearts will grow cold. Which tells me if that's where we're living, I don't know, but if that's where we're living in the last days and the events of the last several years culminating this week, and I don't know where we go from here, uh, if it's any indicator, then I'm seeing all kinds of stuff that I never thought I would see. And so I am telling us as a church, return to your first love in Christ and to the Scripture. I don't know how to say this any stronger than I, than I can. But we have got to start reading our Bible and not reading it to say that we read it so we feel good about ourselves as we go down the stream of death in our culture. Because what I'm really interested in is this. 
What I'm really interested in is what their opinions are. What I'm really interested in are what the stupid people on the other side that I don't like, what they're doing and saying. And I need to accumulate as much information as I possibly can. And I will spend hours and hours and hours doing that and give Jesus and His Word a couple minutes and I came to church and I'm a good person. I do not believe that is going to work. You are going to have to invert that ratio. We need, if you're writing notes down, we need to, one, recognize our utter dependence on God. And as utterly dependent, meaning, I of my own self can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. I have to, A, cry out to Him every day for wisdom and strength and growth and grace. I have to worship Him. I have to know Him. When you hear that hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, how I've proved Him over and over." You are hearing a broken alabaster box with perfume of their life experience pouring out into a song, and they didn't get that because they were going along with the culture, doing whatever the culture was doing, they got it from consistent, daily, simple living before the King of Kings and seeking Him every day as if their life depended on it, because church, it does. We've been so drunk, we haven't recognized it. B. We must become people of the Bible. We must become biblically literate. We must read this book. And not just read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. I was so encouraged. Ashley was telling me that we'd mentioned memorizing Scripture and she was memorizing. And and you said, if I remember right, you said it's actually harder than when I was a kid to do it. It's like there's so many other things competing for your brain. But if I, if I can memorize all the nonsense I have to at the bank, and all the nonsense, and I, it's my job. So, but what I mean is the rules and the regulations and the things and the stuff, and you have to do it too. You can't do that with the Bible. Your job's more important than the Bible, isn't it? Don't we treat it that way? We give our life and our energy to it. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just recognizing where our God affections are. Our affections are not in Him. Our affections are in us and me. And I want to make an addition onto my home. And I want things to work this way. And I want this car. And I want my children to go to this school. And I want this. And I want that. And I want things. And I want stuff. And I realize we are in trouble because we are no different then the world, we've got a thimbleful of spiritual growth and maturity. And we think we're spiritually mature because we're comparing ourselves to heathens and pagans. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. That's what I'm doing. Read, study, memorize. Psalms 1, blessed is the man who meditates day and night in the Word of God, He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water whose fruit will not quit and whose leaf will not wither. You cannot view the Bible as something for theologians or for smart people. I don't understand it. I don't care. Read it. Do you believe the Holy Spirit lives in you? He will teach you all things. That brings me back, because I could go on and on and on and on and on to this dry piece of wood. I have an illustration that I pray helps you hear the urgency. I feel urgent. A lot of times when I read the Bible, I'm confessing you as your pastor, a lot of times when I read it, I would so much rather be doing something else. 
not all the time, but a lot of the time. A lot of time I feel as spiritual as a doorknob. I feel as spiritual as this dry piece of wood. I heard a poem by a pastor, and in the poem he wrote about a man reading the Bible, laying another log on the fire that wasn't yet lit. When you build a fire, you've got to start with something small, and, you, and it's the kindling underneath, but you are always looking for something like this, because this will really burn, but it's big. And If you could begin to view your Bible reading as dry wood, maybe that's how it feels, but I am laying a log on a fire that is not yet lit. And I lay another log, and I lay another log, and I lay another log, and I build a pyre of what seems to be dead, dry wood. And I believe and trust that in the moments that I need it, the Holy Spirit will light that fire. And all that dry wood that I felt was useless and meaningless and dry and terrible and oh, I'm reading again that God will ignite it. And you, depending on how many logs are on that fire, will blaze up in a generation of utter darkness and stand out like a beacon to a world that is dying and needs to see real truth and real love. And you will have it because you have Scripture built up in your life. And I am urging you to read your Bible in 2021. I am urging you to talk about it. I am urging you to think about it. I'm urging you to ask questions when you don't understand. You know what happens when you really start reading the Bible? You will have questions. You know how you've avoided the questions? You don't read it. You wait for me to preach it and hope I've got something good to say. So, in 2021, we've got dependency on God left and right. If I could just tell you to turn off social media and turn off your television for a month and spend all of that time in Scripture, I'm telling you, it is hard to tell how much more at peace you would be. I'm not saying to ignore the world. I'm not telling us to become Amish and disappear. That's not what I'm saying. We have to engage with the culture. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be. I'm just trying to give a wake-up call this morning that we need to become people of the Bible. I mean, eat it and live it and do it and live it and eat it and do it and ask questions and cry over it. When was the last time you cried over a Bible passage? God, what does this mean? Man, when I read the old writers and they would agonize over the Scripture, what does it mean? And Martin Luther saying, I have wrestled with Solomon in Ecclesiastes and I will not let him go until I get an answer. When you hear that, it's like that's what Christians are supposed to be. Hungry, ferocious, bold, courageous, loving people. Not this weak, wimpy, I don't want to make anybody mad soft nonsense that we've been for years and decades. I'm partially just preaching to my own self. So, with these things in mind, please, if you've never done it before, just if you just follow this and just read through, just read through the Bible this year. I know it's January 10th. You just have a little bit of makeup work to do. Don't do it though, like, oh, I got to get it done. You got to go to it hungry and say, if I don't eat this food, I'm going to die. If I don't eat this food, I'm going to die. I'm going to be susceptible to what this. Who knows what's coming? Who knows? Who knows the. Who, I don't know. Okay, I'm not even going to try. What I do know is that if we sink our roots deep in the Scripture and trust in Him and seek Him, 
God will be with us and take care of us. And who knows what He'll do for you. Who knows? There, there are maybe people around you. Does each one reach one thing? Who knows what God will do? Let's everybody stand up. We're going to pray. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the warnings of Scripture, Lord. We, we know they're not there to make us fearful. They're there to prepare us. Lord, you told Peter, to, through the Apostle Peter, you said, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the appearing of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we, we want to do that. We want to be people of the Bible. We want to be people of Your of your spirit. We want to be the people of God as you intend us to be. We're alive in 2021 because you want us to be alive. You put us here on purpose. So Lord, burn in us. God, help us lay down logs of your truth and your doctrine and your wisdom and theology. Help us to quit thinking in terms of I'm not smart enough, I'm not spiritual enough, I don't get it. God, help us to see this is spiritual meat and drink and that You will help us with it. God, grow us as a church. Grow us in our capacity to understand. Don't let the devil turn this into a sermon of condemnation. God, let it be what it should be, which is an encouragement to wake up move forward and be what we're, we already are in you, your children. Lord, we thank you for that. In the precious, powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.